0: You're listening to Sport Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. Well yeah, I mean, it was so, so surreal for us. One minute in Sunderland, the next minute I'm sitting in a, in a bar in West Hollywood with Mickey Rock talking business smart. <laughs>
1: that so. Three, three days ago, you had a child, and you're emailing back to me to, to do a podcast. <laughs> a guy you've never met. You are committed to networking, aren't you? I've been punching the head around forty-five to fifty-five thousand
0: times in my life. That sort of that sort of damage that I've on your brain is ridiculous.
1: Hi there. Welcome to the latest Sport Digital and Social podcast. My name is Richard Clark. Or at Mr. Richard Clark on all social. My guest this week is Tony. Do you know what? Let's just get on with the podcast. Let Tony introduce himself. Listen to this great interview with a man who's really changed his life around. Make sure you go to those show notes at the end, of course. That's MrRichardClark.com forward slash sport digital and social forward slash Tony Jeffries because he's got a story to tell. There you'll find links to the Boxing Life podcast, the Boxing Burn Academy all sorts of things that Tony has done, but I'll let the man introduce himself now.
0: My name's Tony Jeffries. I'm a former professional boxer and I won an Olympic bronze medal in the 2008 Games. So that's what I'm known for in boxing for Great Britain. Uh, I'm still in the northeast of England and I moved to Los Angeles, California about five and a half years ago in 2012. Now I own through successful boxing fitness gyms and a, and a successful boxing fitness education programme. That's my story in the smallest of nutshells.
1: <laughs> Tony, I want to start right at the start. What sort of kid were you?
0: I was being from the, the northeast of England, especially in a, in a council estate. Uh, I was look, kind of looked after by my mum, who had me and my sister when she was 21 years old. She had two kids living in a, a little a flat. I was a bit of a tear away as a kid, always getting up to no good. And then until I found boxing at the age of 10, that put some discipline into me.
1: I was going to say, because boxing was in your family, you had an uncle who boxed, or a great uncle, was it?
0: Yeah, my uncle, my mum's brother, was a professional boxer, Billy Bryce. He never really achieved much in boxing, uh, but he he was a pro. And ever since I was little, uh, my granddad, his dad used to have me doing boxing on his hands, They've ever still had a walk. So uh, it was kind of a thing that
1: I was getting uh, I was getting put into me from, from a, a very young age. You said you're a tearaway. Did you want boxing yeah. or did you need boxing? I, I certainly
0: didn't want it. I wanted that at the time when I was 10. It was something new going in into the boxing gym with my friends, kind of messing around. And, and and until it started to get serious when I was like 12, 13, 14, and that's when I started it. Uh, not want it when I was when I was doing when I was when I was starting to really doing the fighting, fighting, because it was that much dedication. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to play outside with my friends and mess around, but my dad forced me into it. He said, "You, you you're not do, playing outside unless you go boxing." And he used to drag me to the gym. I used to get grounded if I didn't want if I didn't go to boxing. So it was either go boxing or stay in my bedroom and, and do nothing. So. Yeah, I mean, I got forced into it. And then that, that was until I was like 13. And at the age of 13, I won my first national title. I won the schoolboy championships. So I was the champion in England. Then at 14, I got picked to box, represent England against Ireland, box for England. Then I won another national title, then another national title, another national title. And then I was like, shit, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Then England started to fly me around the world fighting at the age of 15. So, you know, and that's when it started to become something serious.
1: When did the Olympics become a realistic vision for you?
0: When I was 16, uh, what Korea what what Britain did, uh, England did, they, they gathered all of the 16-year-old national champions and they put us all on it, which was an eight-year training programme. That was in the year 2000 for the 2008 Olympics. Oddly, Harrison won the gold medal in Sydney in 2000. That, that gave boxing huge funding. And that's why they could afford to get all these 16-year-olds and put them on this program. And I was, I was one of them. So it was like, we're going to put you on this eight-year program for the Olympics. It was like eight years to a 16-year-old seems a lifetime away. But that, that's what I was on, and I stuck through the full eight years and, and went to the Olympics. So it was a, it was a long, a long goal, it really was. And something that when I first, when I first got put in my sights, I never thought it would actually ever come around to it. But but yeah, it did
1: you said you needed to be dragged to the gym early on once you got on the 8 year program did the dedication come easier because you had that goal or was it still hard work
0: not the dedication did come a bit easier because I was like I was good at I didn't really love boxing but I was good at it and get when you get that feeling of of winning or getting that feeling when you get a letter through your door saying you've been selected to, to fight for Eng- England in India. You know, I went, "Whoa, I'm going to India fighting for England!" or and I was the captain of the England boxing team as well. It's like that feeling was amazing. So yeah, I mean, it was it was easy to become dedicated uh, when I had these great things happening. Like
1: those. So, so talk about the Olympics. You you got the bronze at light heavy, lost to Joe Egan. Um, and Joe Egan lost to Zhang, I think it was the Chinaman in, in the Ken fight. Kenneth Egan. Ken, S- Ken, Ken sorry, Ken Egan. Sorry, wrong. I, yep. Joe Egan's a, di- a different one. Are you quite, quite, quite right? Yeah. Um, did you come away pleased you got a medal or disappointed that it wasn't gold? Uh, uh, how did you view it? And and how was the experience overall? No, I come away really
0: pleased with with getting the medal. I, I was disappointed that I lost our fight against Kenneth Egan in the semi-finals, but that didn't last long. I, I got an Olympic medal. If someone, if someone told me at the age of 16, you're going to get an Olympic medal, I would have told them they was crazy. You know, it's, uh, even though it was a goal, it was like, like I said, it was miles away before the 2008 Olympics. The only two Olympic medalists in the, in the last 12 years or so was oddly Harrison and Ami Khan. So the chances of getting a medal for, from a great Britain was slim to, to none really, you know? So I was very happy with the Olympic medal and, uh, Especially because of all of the hard work and, and dedication that I put into it, and then as well we, we had a team of eight boxers that qualified for the Olympics, and there was three of us that got that got medals. It was it was amazing, it really
1: was. How did you find the transition to the pro ranks? Was it was it easier because you got the Olympic medal, or or was the expectation greater?
0: The expectation was through the roof, which was something that I didn't. Even think about at the time uh, because when you're at the Olympics, you're in kind of a bubble. You don't realise just how big of a deal it is. TV, the news, TV was going th- going around to my house trying to interview me, mum, interviewing everyone I know. It was a massive, massive deal. So with with that, you you become like a kind of a public figure or a household name, especially in in my area. So when I turned pro, the expectations was really high, and. It was a big transition for me because I always boxed 4 two minute rounds, I'd never done a three minute round before, and then I was going from two minute rounds to three minute rounds. It was a big, a big change mentally as, as well because I'd never done that before. Uh, it was a tough transition. It was, but with the expectations and being in the public eye, that was the, that was the hardest thing. I've just wrote a blog on it actually about about that and about the pressure that you get put under when you get on, on in the public eye if you make a little slip up you get abuse on social media which getting abuse on social media is another thing that you've got to deal with when you're in the public eye as well so that, that was tough for me
1: but of course that wasn't quite so big <laughs> when you were fighting it's I mean now everyone's on social and everyone's talking on social yeah. it's changed so much you must you're dealing with boxers now do you Need to advise them on that? Is it your job as a as a coach? I mean, you're just dealing with the punching part, but you've also got to deal with the with, with the mental part, I would think, and and insulating yourself from criticism. And criticism comes via social. That's part of the game now. Isn't yeah,
0: it? it is. Unfortunately, it is. And like you said, when when I was uh, in my last couple of years, like in 2012, Twitter, Twitter was really building, and that's where I was getting all all of the abuse if I was getting any. And, no one ever told you if you make a mistake or if you get caught with a good punch or if you underperform that you're going to get a thousand people telling you that you're rubbish. So mentally that, that was that was very tough and I, and, I, and I see it in the book that I wrote it's like no matter what you do if you're a journalist or you're a chef or you're a builder if you get a thousand people telling you ah oh, you're crap, you, sh- you shit at your job, you should quit, you're going to go nowhere it gets to you because at the end of the day you're a normal human being, you're a normal person now, fast forward five years. Now, social media is much bigger. Everyone is on it. So the abuse that these young kids are getting now on social media, if if they make a slip up, is worse than it was when I when I was fighting. So yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that they've got to deal with. And I hope there's someone who's advising them and telling them to expect this, because when I was fighting, no one told me to expect it, and and it was a tough thing to to get over.
1: And you quickly turned pro with Frank Maloney and you were on that treadmill of quick fights, getting yourself grounded into the programme, which was a transition, and then it comes to a halt. Or, I mean, I mean, was it a crashing halt or was it a gradual thing? Because you had problems with both hands and that's what led to your retirement from the programme.
0: Yeah, I had hand trouble from a uh, very early age. From, like the, from the age of like 13, 14. When I went to the gym, they the educators on wrapping hands. I was just the a- Use correct gloves, and I was a uh, punch hard for my age. So before my hands were developed, I was punching very hard, and that's when my my hands injury started. But I, I dealt with it through my, my full career. Then after my 10th pro fight, it got to the point where I couldn't turn a key, I couldn't button my trousers, I was at the top, so I had to get surgery. I had a hole in one that turn, the other knuckle on my other hand. Uh, so I got surgery on both hands, that was it. I tried to do rehab, try to get PRP. Uh, where they take the blood from your bone marrow, from your hip, and they split it up, and they inject that in there. I, I went through everything. It was like, it, it, it come, uh, like come to the end of 2012, where I was like, my hands are not getting better. I've got, to, I've got to retire. So I got forced to retire from the game.
1: Did you try and cling on? You never think that it's ever
0: going to end. So I, I, I tried to cling on, but I, I just knew that I couldn't make fists for months. My hands should have healed. But they never did heal, and I still couldn't make fists. So I just knew, like, this is this is not working. I was getting over fat, depressed. I need to focus my energy on something else. So that's what I, that's what I did do. So I never clinged on that much because I knew, I knew there was nothing to really cling on to.
1: And I'm right in thinking that initially you went to the U.S. as part of the healing process or as an attempt to get your hands healed. Is that is that right? Am I correct? Well. I,
0: I came to the US, I was I trained for my last three professional fights out here uh, with Tommy Brooks, I was in the same training camp as Vander Holyfield, which was amazing. So I was training out here, I was fighting back in England and training in USA. After my surgery in England, I come back to USA, I thought I'll I'll wait for my hands to get better out here, I applied for my green card, I got that. So I was waiting for my hands to get better and I never did end up getting better, so I just stayed out here.
1: So you say you just stayed out here and the line that I've read is you just started a business with Mickey Rourke. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's it's an easy line to write, but I, I want to know a little bit more about that one. <laughs> How did that happen?
0: So I was looking for jobs out here while I was waiting for my hands to get better, and nothing I know better than boxing. There was a couple of boxing gyms, so I went to this one little boxing fitness gym. I started teaching... A few classes and stuff there, and then there was a Mickey Rock's girlfriend who was a model. Anna was training there, and then I kind of retired at the same time as this was happening. Where me and my business partner Kevin Watson, uh, he was a trainer there as well. We decided to open our own gym, and she found out and she said, "My husband, my my boyfriend Mickey Rock, massive massive boxing fan. He loved to invest in the gym." So I was like, "All oh, right, great." So then it was, So then we met with Mickey a few times. He was going to invest a hundred grand into the gym which was amazing, you know. So we were looking for locations. Mickey was away doing a movie, and then then we found, me and my business partner found a, a location. I put all my money from my, I earned from Buck into this location, waiting for Mickey to come back and give us the 100 grand. He came back, and then he changed something that we wanted, that we initially agreed on. Nothing, None of this was in paper, but he changed something, so it was like, oh, well, it's not going to work. So we got rid of Mickey Rock, and me and my business partner done it, which really was a blessing in disguise. It was the best thing that could happen. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the story with Mickey. Really. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was so, so surreal for us. One minute in Sunderland, the next minute I'm sitting in a in a bar in West Hollywood with Mickey Rock taught business. It was mad. <laughs> Who were your boxing heroes growing up, incidentally? It's, it's funny, I'm, I'm never a really big boxing fan. I've watched the big fights on my friends, but I was never really a big boxing fan, and I'm still not. See, when I go to these tournaments, I was big for my age. I would be on, like, seeing the schoolboy championships, I would be on second from last, which would be 68th or 90th. There would be 90 fights on that day, and I would be there through all of the fights, (laughs) and I'd be on last. So I've watched thousands of fights. I I never really wanted to watch any more unless I had to. But, I mean, my my favourite fighters was, like, Roy Jones, Prince Nazean, them sort of people. But I never had any big heroes in boxing.
1: And I've seen you write about concern about head injuries. Um, I think yeah. I'm right in saying you, you've you've got a fairly strong stance on the injuries that can potentially come out of boxing. But you have stayed in the sport. I mean, you've done it as a kid. You've done it as a pro. You've stayed in it as a as a latter career. How do how do those tally up? Because you, you, you're talking about the fact that you're not a massive boxing fan. You've got issues yeah. with the head injuries. But it's it's it seems to be. Boxing stayed with you, and, and you've stayed with boxing throughout all these ups and downs.
0: Yeah. Like, like I see, I, I, uh, I, I never really realised or thought about how big of a issue boxing was on the brain, like how, how much damage it actually did until I retired. And right now, I, I haven't got anything to do with actual boxing as in a business, is in the, 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 the fight game. All I do now is train people for fitness, where they're not getting hit in the head. But, yeah, I didn't realise how much damage it could actually do until I, I've tried to figure it out. How, I don't know if you've ever read this or, or seen this anywhere. How many times that I've been punched in the head. And I had 106 fights in my career. And I've done the maths. If I got punched in the head seven times for each one of them fights, and seven times for each one, sorry, seven times for each one of the rounds in each one of them fights, and then seven times each round I did in sparring, I've been punched in the head around... Forty-five to fifty-five thousand times in my life, and you know, and that sort of that sort of damage that that's doing on your brain is ridiculous. And I've I've felt that. Uh, I'm trying to think of how, how I'm to see it. Like I felt a bit that, that that boxing, that my brain is not working the way it should be now. But I have sometimes I have trouble thinking straight. Sometimes I have trouble having pronouncing words, or or like right now, like like. Like talking but and I, and I think that comes down to boxing. So I've done some. I'm part of the fighters' brain study that's in uh, Las Vegas, and actually I've just released a podcast today where I interview the doctor who's doing the the study on on the fighter's brain, because I'm I'm very interested in, and very concerned about the damage that boxing actually does to to, to, to fighters or does to anyone. See, I started, I started boxing when I was ten years old. I was getting punched in the head when I was ten years old. I must have done that many, that many rounds spoiling before I fought when I was eleven. I must have been punched in the head three thousand times before I was eleven. Now, if you don't think, if you don't think that that's doing damage to a ten-year-old kid, you're crazy because obviously it is. you know what I mean? So yeah, I think that there's a lot of damage, and it, it's not good for your brain. But there's nothing really that you
1: can do about it. Yeah, it's interesting because I I lived in America and the team that I was working for, the Colorado Rapids, our coach at at the time retired because of concussion issues. A striker, Kevin Doyle, Irish player, retired because of concussion issues. The NFL issues over concussion, all that. It just seems a bigger story in America than it is in not just England, but Europe, this issue of, of, of concussion. Do you, do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, it's really big over really across America. Like, say American football now is
1: it's huge,
0: and the awareness has grown out. But the thing that the difference between American football and boxing is American football's got a union, which means at the end of at the end of your career, you've got support groups and support. If you if you have got CTE or, or, or brain health issues, boxing's got no one, got nothing. That's why I try to raise awareness when I can. But, like, boxing's got nothing. So you'll see you'll see boxers, or you might know boxers, who ends up punch drunk, CTE, and they're working dead-end jobs. It's, it's so, so sad uh, how the average boxer's life pans out. And when we get into boxing, no-one ever tells you, no-one ever speaks about the damage that boxing does to you because, I mean, it's the last thing you want to hear when you're in a boxing gym training for a fight, That like, oh, by the way it's going to do long-term damage to you. No one ever speaks about that. So, I mean, it's, it's just so, it's so sad that how how it turns out for most boxers uh, if, they, if they don't make any money or make any, anything from it, which is 99% of boxers. Uh, but there's, like I said, there's There's not much you can really do.
1: I was going to talk how, about how you adapted to the end of your career because a lot of sportsmen, when their career ends for usual age issues rather than any specific injury a lot of footballers in particular NFL stars NBA stars there's stories all over the place of of, of players that struggle to adapt um yeah you seem to thrive on it you found something you went for it there were lots of hurdles you're in a different country your initial business partner uh, that situation changes there's lots of bumps on that road, but you 've turned it into a positive is that yeah. is that part of the mindset of attacking struggles, attacking problems that you got being a young athlete a boxer? Have you got that same approach in business
0: yeah, I think so I, th- I think so i mean when you when you 're boxing
1: Boxing is like probably one of the hardest jobs in the world. You, you, you've got to
0: work so hard. You've got to diet. Your opponent's constantly on your mind. So like the way I, I thought of it, like, when I retired from boxing, I didn't have to do all of that physical and mental hard stuff. Life was easy. So I've come into business, obviously got a very high work ethic, but life life's easy now. I'm not getting punched in the head anymore. I haven't got to think about my opponent day in, day out. So yeah, I mean this this business game is easy compared to compared to boxing, and yeah we 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 see a lot of people struggling like like footballers, especially with lifestyle changes, because with footballers let's see if they're earning a minimum like say they're earning 10 grand a week, they they're living on a 10 grand a week lifestyle, right, and uh, where where they can buy anything they want, money's not a concern. They can eat where they want. They can buy the flash cars. They can do whatever they want. This is on a When they retire from from football, they try to maintain that lifestyle, but they've got very zero or very little income coming in. So mentally, that's a hard thing as well. Even when I was boxing, I earned decent money. So, so to change your lifestyle and go from living living at large to, to 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 thinking about I can't afford to put petrol in my car or whatever it may be. That there mentally is a tough thing to to get over as well. And I've I've spoken to sports psychologists as well, and, and they've have told me like one of the big things to deal with, with with former footballers is, is their lifestyle change. They, they, they can't afford to live on the lifestyle that they've always got to be living for so many so many years. You know?
1: And your business at the moment—you've built it up. You've you gone from one gym—is it, one gym in Santa Monica, one gym in in Brentwood, and now you're coaching coaches. Is that right? You've—that's the way you've grown. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. So we opened the first one in Santa Monica, which is a is probably the best area in Los Angeles in, in California, and then the other other area is, is Brentwood, which is a very wealthy area as well. Uh, it's, it's up there with Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, and then we've we've Looking over the the third location in West Hollywood, and then yeah, the education program where we teach trainers how to teach, how to teach other clients, and how to make money in the in the fitness industry as well. So yeah, I mean, business is business is going very well. Business is going very well. I got like 50 employees at a minute. I mean, it's going well for for a a lad who left school with no qualifications and and nothing. You know, I I think I'm doing all right.
1: I read as well. You had even when you were boxing you had a property portfolio, and that still exists. It's in it's in Sunderland, however many houses. Yeah. So even to get out of the pro boxing game with, what, 10 or 11 professional fights with a property portfolio and fairly sound, I think you were switched on already, to be honest, because not a lot yeah, of fighters yeah, are in I, that
0: position. I did. I mean, I've only got five houses, but I've got it's five houses more than, more than a lot of people. But... Every time I had a fight, a professional fight, sorry, every time I had two professional fights, I'd buy a house. I'd put, put the money down as a deposit on a house and buy a house in, in Sunderland and then put a tenant in it. So I had 10 fights and I bought five houses, which is, again, which is a smart move. And this is something I try to advise other boxers on my podcast, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, this is what you should do, you should invest your money. Because I know fighters who earned three times more money than me, who now haven't really got a pot to piss in because they never invested the money, they never paid the taxes. And they weren't smart with it. It's sad. It's, it really is. But I don't know what I'll come down on because I wasn't, like I say, I wasn't educated. I was just maybe smart business minded, whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that like fighters and footballers and all sportsmen, I if you can earn some money, you need to invest it because, like I said, there's going to be a day that comes where that big money's not rolling anymore. And what have you got, what have you got to look back, back on?
1: my theory is that you're a self-improver because I look at your podcast and I was looking down the list of podcast episodes and it's about biohacking, mindset uh, development, work-life balance, time management. Well, hang on, we've suddenly got a thread running through this of self-improvement. You might not be conscious of it, but the fact that you're you've you've gone from being council of state in, in in Sunderland, not particularly interested in boxing, goes into boxing, finds you're good at it, then take those opportunities. All through that is an element of self improvement, and now you're doing a podcast right, yeah. on it, which is a big pivot. I would argue. I I don't know if you found it a big pivot, but it seems to be for me to go from Olympic boxer to podcaster about self improvement. There's nothing wrong with it, and it's great, but it's a pivot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've never even thought about it like that. When you, when you just on my quick timeline, I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, really, I have. It's like it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm always trying to get better. I'm, I'm not where I am now. So when I get these big guests on the podcast who can talk about self improvement, I'm always looking for ways to improve my life and improve, and for me to be able to perform better. Always, I always want to be better so yeah and, and then that's why i get these guests on the podcast and, and do that but yeah i mean I'm, I'm all for self-improvement which i which i really believe everyone should be obviously you are you're doing this podcast right now uh, so i think everyone should be trying to self-improve all the time
1: what role does the podcast play in your business do you use it as a business tool as a as a brand builder is it is it that intentional or is it is it just fun
0: it's It just started off just fun. It's just my hobby, you know. I want. I used to write a, a column for the Sunday Sun in, in England, and I stopped doing that, and I, and I heard it started of thinking about podcasts a few years ago, so I thought I'd do one. I did it, and I enjoyed it, and then i have done another one and done another one. Yeah, and, and now it helps the business, you know. I get people messaging me every day, saying, oh, you know, I listen to this episode, it's great. I can't wait to come and try Box and Burn when I come to LA. And it, it really is good for business, good for the brand but yeah I mean I just do it just just for fun really
1: and you're landing some decent guests now I mean Gary Vaynerchuk was on I mean I know he talks a lot but he's still a hell of a name to have on your podcast and and right in the sweet spot of that self-improvement business area that that you've moved into how did you find him?
0: I've been following his content for a a long while Gary Vaynerchuk and I think he's great and I'm friends we've got a mutual friend uh, Aubrey Marcus who's the CEO of Honours he's one of my good friends he's yet to come on but he's gonna come on the show as well. I was just I was tweeting Gary Vaynerchuk one day and then I I, I said, I mentioned do you fancy coming on my podcast? He went, Oh yeah, no problem. And then he put me in touch with his assistant and then Yeah, and then, then he came on, which was which was great because he can do any podcast in the world so he could he come on my podcast which is which is great. And it just shows that 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 he's real. He's a he's a real person. Like it's legit what he's doing. Like he, he says like no podcast's too big for you to go on, no podcast should be too small for you. It's, a, it's not so much about the numbers it's about the about the quality you know so he, he came on which was which was great and then being in LA as well I get like like actors like Frank Grillo Brian Callan with me knowing loads of boxers I get fighters on like Liam Smith David Price and I, I, kind, of, I kind of think but yeah I get, I get loads of good guests on the good thing about podcasting is you, you get put in the little circle you meet people who introduce you to other people who introduce you to other people like so that's one of my what we've not really about what probably one of my biggest strengths is networking is is meeting new people and uh, networking them and, and, and making friends with people. And I love doing that. It's something that I'm kinda obsessed with at the minute is is networking with people. Like you reached out to me, I I got, I got back to you as fast as I could, you know, and said, Yeah, let's do this podcast. You know, net, network networking with you. Now I've got you, uh now me and you will become boys and you know, you never know <laughs> where it may lead. Like maybe I can help you with your podcast with one of my guests, former guests, and, and introduce you to someone. If you've got a guest on your show, or I want on my show, you know that sort of shit. That, that's how you build relationships. That's how you. That's how you network. Social networking, liking people, sit on on Instagram. Like, yeah, it's great, but real, real networking is this. What I'm talking about right now. I'll put you in touch with one of my guests, whatever. Then you meet them, and they'll put you in touch. You know what I mean? That that's what I'm all about. I love that shit.
1: Well, I, I give credit to you because I've, as I say, I've started this podcast, your guest number three. I've emailed a few people that I know through my network or or, or LinkedIn or people that I know, frankly, better than you, because I've, I've emailed you through your, your website. You have got back quicker than anybody else. And respect to you for coming back quickly and following through. I mean, I only emailed you, I think, yesterday and we're doing it now. And you know, <laughs> you, you've got to spare out okay. and we're doing it. And that's great. And i I tell you what. What I like about Gary Vaynerchuk, and I, I like about the way that you've acted here, is it's it's a human connection. It's like, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, fine. Yes. Yeah. And and it's it's kind of yes, I'll do it. Be positive first. Uh, assume po- assume that things are positive. Assume that things are good. Assume that something good is going to happen about it. And I, I think right. I think that's what I really really like about Gary Vaynerchuk. That behind all the business stuff, he's also Trying to leave a positive legacy and and do something positive, and that's that's a that's a really appealing mindset, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's so popular, actually. But uh...
0: yeah, definitely, yeah. It's easy, it's easy to think of the negatives. It's easy to think of why I can't do this podcast and why I should say no. It's easy to think put but no, I think of the positives. And you know, after the Olympics, there was a student reached out to to tons of Olympians, like tons of them, and asked, oh, "Can I come and do an interview with you for my for my work?" I, my student work and none of them got battered apart from me so I went oh yeah definitely come up he done an interview with me in Manchester when I was training in Manchester then I started talking to him. why do you want to do some more videos of me training and stuff so he went, oh yeah and the student was so excited and so happy so he he come in and he videoed us I went let's do a little DVD documentary we'll call it Life as a Pro and uh, he never had any money I paid for his petrol and all that and he used to drive to someone video me and he put together this 10-part little series thing on YouTube with something that's called Life as a Pro. And then I got him in touch with Frank Maloney and he started doing some videos for Frank Maloney, interviewing some of his fighters and stuff. And uh, so these little students are all excited over the moon with it. Next thing, Ed Robinson from Sky Sports sees his work. And Ed Robinson said, uh, wow, maybe you can start doing some work for Sky Sports. <laughs> anyway, fast forward, this, this, this guy's called Andy Scott. I don't know if you know him. He, yes, Andy, he's, a, he's the uh,
1: interviewer uh, now. He's the interviewer, isn't
0: he? Yeah. Andy Scott gets in the ring and interviews. the likes so of triple G and everyone after, the, after their fights. He's there ringside interviewing all the fighters after fights for Sky Sports. He's the main guy now.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> so, an incredible. And you pay for his petrol to, to come and speak to you? I pay
0: for his petrol. He used to come and sleep on my sofa to do videos. And he always thanks me. I thought, Tony, I would never be here without you. And I'm like, no, mate, listen. You, you've you've cr- created your own opportunity you're not lucky at all, you've created your own opportunity, you've worked your hours off, you've done all work. I said, this is not me, this is you, this is all you. Because that's what he's done. He's created opportunity, then he's took it, grabbed it with both hands. So yeah, now, now he's the main guy, interviewing Anthony Joshua after his critical fight, interviewing all these boys. So I mean, it's fantastic to see, and, and that's what I mean about networking. I've seen, seen yes to stuff, you know, people say see no to stuff, but i say yes to stuff. And that sort of shit happens.
1: A great little story. Yes, it very that, that is a good story. Say, I, would, I would just to move on to the networking things. I've got a list of I've been on your website. I've seen the the pictures of people who you're with and Rhonda Rousey's been in, Chris Hemsworth, Joe Wick, Tim Tabo, the uh, the old uh, the old oh, yeah. quarterback, Jensen Button. So there's a big crossover currently between celebrities and boxing. It, it seems that boxing's a a trendy way to get fit, and you're yet again. In a sweet spot there Aren't you Because if you've got a <laughs> If you've got a great gym In the Hollywood area You are going to get Well There's a fair chance You're going to get The Chris Hemsworth Etc in Do you court those people Or or, or do they court you? You're court
0: you Every single one Which is Which is amazing <laughs> But yeah I mean We, we look like and, and boxing is like It's the best workout If you're not getting points in the face It's the best workout It's a full body workout You're working you work on everything, you work in your mind as well and you've got to think and you always can improve at it rather than go to the gym running a treadmill or lifting weights. You know, with, with, with boxing for fitness, it's great because you can see your own improvements all the time and that's why then, then the big celebrities come and they do it and then they post pictures of it and then and then all the followers see that and then next other people look for gyms and, and that's why it's massive in the area but good. And another good thing is, which is a really good business thing where, where I'm pretty smart is I see this trend happening, but I see no one knows how to teach boxing. No one all these kids don't know how to teach boxing. They know how to teach a squat. So what's, so if no one knows how to teach boxing and I, and I can do that in my sleep, what's a good thing to do is teach them how to teach boxing. And that's where the Boxing Man Academy comes in. And, and that's why I hope I've certified over a thousand trainers
1: now uh, uh, from around the world coming to, coming, to, at the, coming to our academy. So with the training, you coach coaches effectively, but you also take it out. I saw dates all over the place, both in America and certainly one in England, where you're you're taking it on the road. You're expanding out from, from just your base in LA, right? Yeah, so this year alone, we've done 12 different
0: academies in like
1: eight
0: different locations to find in America, like Florida, Denver, like vegas san jose and yeah and and uh i want to go home next year and i keep getting asked when you come to england so i thought let's let, let's book one in england see how course we've already sold like five spots already and we've, we've just put it up uh, not long ago so yeah well, i mean let's we'll see how it goes but it's, it's something that we can do anywhere and anyone who's into fitness can can benefit from it so yeah i mean it's it's great and we're about to lock Austria leaving as well. We're going to go there. So now it's it's kind of for for the
1: fun of it as well. I love doing it, but like, if I can get a holiday out of it, why not? <laughs> Where do you want to take it now? Where do you want to take it? Is Are you hell-bent on expansion, development, or are you going to be one of those guys that says, this is enough now at some point?
0: I don't think I'll ever see it's enough, but at the same time I don't want to spread myself too thin where opening these gyms all the time it's it's a lot it's a lot of energy but with the with the academy it's just went online so you can you can learn how to teach boxing on an online course now the boxing so that's going to be big for us when I say us as me and my business partner and then another guy Glenn who's a personal trainer I, I don't know that's one thing where I'm I'm not great at is setting my long-term goal because if I want to be super successful I've got to know what, I'm, what my goal is which to be honest I haven't got the long-term goal I'm just flying flying with it now but I don't know what it's going and that's me I need to really sit down and, and really figure out where I want to go and where I want to take this as long as I'm having fun and, and enjoying the journey to the, the destination's unknown as long as I'm enjoying the journey I think that's the, that's the main thing really but I need to get that final destination locked in
1: and family life, you've got a, a wife and how many children? One or two, is it?
0: got loads, mate. I've just had my third one oh. two days ago. <laughs> two days ago? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, I've got three little girls now. i it was three days ago. I've got three little girls. I've got a three-year-old, a one-year-old and a, and a newborn. So my hands are full. So I've got, <laughs> you know, non-stop.
1: That so three, three days ago you had a child, and you're emailing back to me to, to do a podcast with a guy <laughs> you've never met. You are a committed to networking, aren't you? <laughs>
0: yeah, network for me and, and work. Ethic, I think I I'm not I'm not stop. I'm I'm non stop. I've got like I said that big work. I think, but this shit, like I said, this, this is easy. Boxing was on. This is easy. This is easy.
1: And and how has your wife found the transition from? sunderland and i used to live in newcastle and i know it rains a lot to some sun, rain yeah. sunderland to ever sunny 80 90 degrees every day la <laughs> yeah. Have they found that I trendish, that, that hard trendish. <laughs> yeah
0: she she loves it she's a nurse she's an emergency room nurse so she so she loves it she's got a job pretty easy and where i'm sitting now mid, it it's like I think it's like 23 degrees I'm looking at palm trees I've got my shorts on I've got my vest on and it's, it's beautiful you know uh, it'd be hard not, not to love it and it'd be hard to even think about going back to Sunderland you know it'd be hard I'm loving where I live on holiday really life is great You've been listening to sport digital and social with Mr. Richard Clark rate review and subscribe on iTunes. You can find Richard on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for at Mr. Richard Clark or at his website, mrrichardclark.com.